0: Hey, Joshua, you and I both have the new PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X games consoles because we need them for work. But if you had to buy a PlayStation 5 for yourself, how much would you pay?
1: Oh, straight price, not a dime more.
0: So not uh, $1,275 like this eBay listing? Absolutely
1: not. Who is selling them for that much?
0: People on eBay uh, and even sometimes more than that.
1: That is absolutely absurd. Also, you can't find them anywhere, right?
0: Yes. So the recommended retail price for the PlayStation 5 is $500 or £450 over here. But some people are paying more than twice that on sites like eBay because they are sold out everywhere else. Uh, There have been some super weird stories about this. I don't know if this kind of thing is happening in the States, but over here, some people who ordered PS5s from Amazon were getting things like air fryers and dog food and Himalayan salt lamps instead.
1: Things that don't even resemble a PlayStations. <laughs> I had read about that happening overseas, but I don't think anything like quite like that is happening here. Although there have been outrageous like scalpers.
0: Yeah, there have even been more stories about these ones that are getting sold on eBay for outrageous prices. So there was just a story that I saw today uh, from Utah on Eurogamer, uh, a guy who called the police after he ordered one of these PS5s off eBay and instead got a brick of concrete. So, <laughs> He paid $878. That's insane. There was even a courier who got caught stealing the PlayStation 5 that they were supposed to deliver. So people are obviously just desperate. But there's also another factor at play. Here, read this one-star review on that eBay listing that I showed you.
1: Bot set up to quickly buy pre-orders. It should be illegal to do this, upsell a new item, by that much. Don't listen to the five-star genius who said it takes hard work to get one. CNN did an article on this. They have bot set up to quickly grab all the pre-orders before actual humans can do it. And then they hold them hostage and charge 10 somewhat it is worth. Really class act these people
0: are. Do you think this person was very, very angry?
1: I think he was just like mildly angry. You know, sort of like the fingers flying across the keyboard angry, but not like doing it and yelling angry, you know?
0: Yeah, fair enough. This does kind of feel like one of those things where you're like, ugh, I hate that this is happening, but also it feels so unsurprising that it's happening, that I'm just going to be vaguely angry about it on the internet and then go about my day. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. The bots beating humans to the punch in the rush for these hot ticket items. Who's using them and why? And what, if anything, we can do about it. We'll break it all down with the help of the reporter who wrote about the phenomenon for Vice.
2: People went to the website at the moment, the second, that the clock struck for selling these, and it already said sold out.
0: When we get back, we meet the bots that stole Christmas. At Evernorth Health
2: Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Our kids
0: have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. I'm Jordan Erica Weber,
1: And I'm Joshua Rivera. In this show, we explore how technology, for better or worse, impacts our lives.
0: And you know what's a big part of my life, Joshua? Uh,
1: Video games.
0: (laughs) Yes, video games. You and I both write about games. I talk about them on the television and the radio as well. So the launch of these new consoles, the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, or... Xbox Series S, has been on both our radars for a long time. Were you expecting them to sell out?
1: Honestly, and this is going to sound really stupid in hindsight, but like at the time, no. They were $500 consoles and, uh, you know, we're kind of in the middle of a pandemic. People are out of work. It's just astounding to me. Like, yeah. Also, there aren't terribly a whole lot of like flashy new games to, to play on them.
0: I felt exactly the same way, and I ended up talking about this with our interviewee, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, given we knew that there weren't going to be many new games for these consoles, or any in the case of the Xbox Series X, and that the best version of each cost $500, I don't think I was expecting everyone to rush out and buy one, especially, as you say, in a pandemic. And I had no idea that people would resort to using bots to try to grab what stock there was until I read about it in an article by Vice reporter Patrick Klepik.
2: I'm Patrick Klepik, senior reporter for Vice Games.
0: Given Patrick also writes about video games, I wanted to ask him why he thought these shiny new games consoles were proving so popular.
2: In the weeks since both the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series S and Series X have come out, it's the sales have been through the roof. And games have been one of the industries that has greatly benefited alongside tech. You know, look at Apple or any other computer manufacturer. They've done very well in this period where people are buying additional equipment and also are looking for different ways to spend their free time. You know, if you think of... Parents, a lot of them are paying the equivalent of a rent for daycare or other childcare services, maybe aren't spending that anymore. I am one of those people. <laughs> and suddenly you're in a situation where if you're lucky enough to have kept your job, that you have extra money that you're not spending on a summer vacation. And where are you going to spend that money when you're not going to bars, restaurants, movie theaters, uh, vacations? You're going to spend on the entertainment.
0: Patrick also points out that video games have a particular advantage over other kinds of entertainment.
2: And I think what we've seen is a lot of people have looked towards video games where there's a lot of bang for your buck. You can spend $60 on a video game that you can then spend hundreds of hours in. And that's just not true of movies, music, lots of other ways of entertaining yourself. Usually video game launches where there is a level of scarcity um, in which the uh, demand always outstrips supply. That has just been exasperated by people desperate to just get excited about something like, oh, a new video game machine that I don't have that many games to play on. I don't care. I just want the shiny new box because then I can talk to my friends about the shiny new box and go on the internet and talk about the shiny new box. Yeah.
1: And that's definitely a huge appeal of video games. It's just that it used to be that like, oh, I can't play video games because I have things to do. And, you know, now there's nothing
0: to do. (laughs) Yeah, and you can buy one game and that's like 500 hours, you know, (laughs) waiting for you just there. Mm -hmm. In the case of, uh, I guess, like Assassin's Creed or The Witcher or something like that. So yeah, really, I guess I should have predicted that this year would cause problems for the launch of these new consoles. So
2: 2020 is sort of a perfect storm of events in which you have all sorts of people at home, at the same time with a lot of free time on their hands. And simultaneously, there are a lot of new technologies coming out at the same time. Um, You have new graphics cards for computers, you have next generation video game consoles, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S and Series X. And you have people not going to stores and buying everything online. And that is sort of it started uh, attacking the foundational infrastructure for how these things are sold and exposing weak points that maybe they weren't necessarily uh, as aware of or not had to be as concerned with before.
0: So Patrick actually came across these weak points for himself.
2: Well, in the run-up to the launch of these graphics cards and these video game machines, I myself was trying to buy one. And so I became someone that was refreshing and hitting F5 on my web browser, trying to get Walmart or Target or some other retailer to accept my purchase, and often found myself frustrated at my inability to actually buy one of these machines. And so then, I, from there, I started looking into, well, oh, what's causing this issue? Is it really just the case that there are tens of thousands, millions of people all going Going to these websites at the same time is just causing bandwidth issues. They're crashing. And what I found was that is true, but also alongside a lot of other complicating issues. And one of those being that people are able to use technology that they call bots.
0: Joshua, do you know what a bot is in this context?
1: Yes and no. My best shot is like, it's a program that you can use to spam an action for you
2: on the internet.
0: Basically, here's how Patrick explains it
2: they are able to automate the process of buying something. You have bots that simply refresh a website and will tell you if the text on a page, like for a PlayStation 5, changes from out of stock to add to cart. And then you can pay money for more expensive bots that do way more, in which they will actually take your saved information, input your name, address, credit card information, click the buy button for you. That's a
1: ridiculous advantage to have over people because like, by the time you click the buy button yourself who knows how many bots have already done it.
0: Right. And when you think about the speed at which a computer program can act compared to a human being, that can make the difference between getting what you want and being left empty-handed.
2: And these are milliseconds that you're trying to uh, accommodate for. These sort of edges that people are are trying to get on the internet through bots and other sort of software tools are really just about, if there are 10,000 people knocking on the door of a certain website, you just want to get in that door a little bit faster than everyone else. So... Bots are also
1: technology, and technology doesn't always work. How about these bots? Do they
2: work all the time?
0: Yeah, not always.
2: There's a high failure rate. It's no guarantee when you go to different websites where you can buy these bots, there is always a giant asterisk that says, by the way, this is no guarantee that this is going to work. The reason they were more successful for things like the PlayStation 5, the Xbox, and specifically these graphics cards were because these Giant launches where tons of people are trying to buy the same thing don't happen that often. These happen every four, five, six, seven years. Um it isn't like Apple who is selling a phone every year the same month. They can plan for it. They know when people are going to be buying. They can set an hour. They know they can just, hey, come here at midnight, and we're just ready for everyone to show up.
1: I would think it'd be the other way around for something a little more regular if that
0: makes sense, like it would be more likely to be a problem for iPhones, yeah, that they would have difficulty with bots. And yeah, this turned out to be a problem for another product that I was also lucky enough to get hold of for work that also sold out at launch, a graphics card called the NVIDIA RTX 3080.
2: NVIDIA launched this really fancy, affordable, by video game standards, graphics card, and they later admitted that essentially most of their stock went to people that were using these bots. And they weren't able just to buy one, they were folks that were claiming they were able to buy 14, 15, 16 of them. That's ridiculous,
0: Yeah, I was like, wait. Did you say that most of them got sold to bots?
2: It's, you know, unclear. Uh, Nvidia didn't release uh, specific data on how much they were able to sell, how much they were trying to sell, but the launch was messy enough to the point that folks that were there at the moment, the second that the, the clock struck for selling these, and it already said sold out. It literally said, sorry, they're all gone,
0: These bots are causing problems for companies like NVIDIA that are just totally unprepared to deal with them. I wanted to get a sense of how much a person might pay to access one of these bots that we've seen used to buy these graphics cards and games consoles. So I asked Patrick.
2: They can be as little as a couple of dollars. They can be as much as thousands of dollars. The more expensive it is, the fewer people have it. You might sell it to someone that is buying sneakers and then selling them to the highest bidder later. And they can afford to spend a couple of thousand dollars on some bot tech that might give them a little bit of an edge.
1: So that might be the kind of people who are trying to buy in bulk to resell on eBay.
0: Right. But like Patrick said, with a bot like that, you don't want to give it out to everyone or you would negate the advantage. So most people end up using something a bit simpler.
2: The folks that I was talking to trying to buy an Xbox or a a graphics card, they were usually spending 20, 40, $60, some of this kind of lower hanging fruit in which it doesn't necessarily successfully do one button press and you've bought the thing. These bots will be able to give you the basic information of, hey, something's in stock, like go do the rest. And remember, most of these websites these days, you can be signed in, have a one-click purchase. And so a lot of the things that bots used to do are actually just kind of being automated by websites themselves. And so <laughs> they kind of have their own built-in bots for for things that the bots were doing in the past, because you can be signed in. And if you're on an Amazon, all you have to do is not even click add to cart, is just please ship this to me as soon as possible.
1: So it's like the scalpers are high-fiving Amazon on their way out the door with a pile of PlayStations. <laughs> <laughs> just...
0: <laughs> so... I guess in a world where so much of the shopping experience is already automated, it doesn't feel like much of a leap to use one of these bots, especially if they're only 20 to $60. And if you think that might make the difference between getting a PlayStation 5 to put under the Christmas tree and, you know, not.
1: Yeah. And once you have one of these bots, can you use them multiple times? Are they single use or do you keep them?
2: It runs the gamut. You know there are certainly uh, pieces of software that you can buy that are programmable, in which you like, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is the granularity of information that I want to receive. This is the the uh, the item that I want you to target. Uh, more often than not, you're buying ones for specific retailers. It's like this one works for Nike. This one works for Target. This one works for Best Buy, um, because the sort of the ordering system for each of those websites is going to be pretty similar for any product that you're going to be getting there. It's going to have the layout be the same. Um, something that uh, gets run into sometimes with these big high profile sales is a place like Amazon will build a a product page that is different than the standard one because they want it to be fancy and look nice or They've done a partnership with the company in question, and then you'll have to get a specific bot for that specific page because once the code changes just a tiny bit, um, that can uh, wreck what the bot is trying to accomplish. And when I would talk to folks that have programmed these bots, they said that was one of the easiest things that websites can do, is these bots are so rickety that all they have to do on the website end is change a little bit of the code, and the bot throws up its hands and goes, I don't know what I'm looking at, because they're really um, often built to just assume status quo. This is going to look the same as it's looked in the past, and the moment anything changes, it's going to throw off your ability to use much of it, which is, again, why the higher end bots are, are often kept uh, private or secret, um, because that allows them to take advantage of an exploit in a website that maybe the designers of that website haven't accounted for and wouldn't notice unless tens of thousands of people were hammering it at the same time.
1: So all the retailer needs to do is change a bit of code every now and then, and then the bot just gets confused, right? It seems like a simple solution that is maybe not as simple as that.
0: Well, when we get back, we will find out. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, And I'm Joshua Rivera. We've been hearing about bots that people are using to automate some or all of the online shopping experience to get hold of in-demand products like police stations and graphics cards. But since these bots are tailor-made for a specific purpose, Joshua wonders if retailers should be able to deal with them fairly easily just by changing a bit of website code to pull the rug out from under their robotic feet. And I asked Patrick about this. So are these websites sometimes changing their product pages on purpose then to circumvent these bots?
2: Oh, absolutely. And and it's the case that, you know, your Walmarts and Targets and Amazons of the world are just less prepared because they don't have instances nearly as often when you have these uh, mass rushes for a a single product. In the sneaker community, Nike especially is incredibly difficult to run bots for because they are just so used to doing this. Sneaker culture, which originated with people standing in line waiting for shoes at in-person stores, that still happens. But then migrate to an online culture where folks are trying to buy a very limited release of a very specific shoe that would never be available again. And so they found ways to, how do I get to the front of the line? Because often it there was no line to stand in. You just went to the website and <laughs> hoped you were in line, but there was actually no way to know. You know, services like Ticketmaster and other concert ticket distributors have come up with queue systems, so you kind of can sometimes know where you are uh, in a line. But really, these cultures uh, developed these technologies because it gave them uh, a sense of, here's where I am. Maybe I'm a little bit ahead of someone else. And these websites and these these shoe manufacturers, in response to all of this, then had to develop countermeasures and find ways to try and make it more equitable and fair so that even if some bots made it through, the average person who was putting in the effort and paying attention also might have a chance to get the shoe, too.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I tend to think of this with sneakers when it comes to this because that is, for me, the the big scalper playground people have been you know since time immemorial it feels like trying to get ahead of the line and make it out with like limited edition sneakers and they have been a plague
0: <laughs> are you a sneakerhead joshua
1: so this is why i know like i would be a sneakerhead probably if it wasn't so exhausting <laughs> to be one.
0: Oh, bots have ruined that culture for you huh
1: yeah i just I, the, the robots have chased me out
0: I'm kind of like that with uh, with concerts and things like the idea of competing for concert tickets just really stresses me out. My most recent experience with this kind of queuing system that Ticketmaster has is actually at the start of the pandemic, when everyone in the UK tried to switch to online shopping for their groceries at the same time because the the government advised it. And people were tweeting screenshots from the Sainsbury's website or the Ocado website or whatever, saying that there were like more than 100,000 people ahead of them in the virtual queue.
1: That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Especially compared to the size of our population. Compared to yours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think these queuing systems help the experience to feel more fair? Like, would you want to see them implemented by the likes of Sony and Microsoft and NVIDIA?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, It's an ironic solution because it makes you feel less like a human and more like a robot. But uh, I also know that it's kind of imperfect, right? Like, because, like I've said earlier with my concert ticket experience, it sort of presumes that the Internet is a service without any issues for everyone. And in a country like America, which astonishingly doesn't have broadband standard, there is no requirement that everyone has high-speed Internet. It's a thing that, like, automatically cuts out a huge segment of the population and prioritizes people with the privilege of having a solid Uh, if not great internet connection compared to everybody else. Right. So it's like another haves and have nots sort of deal.
0: Another thing about the, the whole queue system, though, is that it sometimes feels like people tweeting their screenshots of being in a queue for concert tickets or whatever is also kind of like free marketing. Like if people are queuing for something, it must be desirable. Right. Like sneakers in real life, you know, when you see the queue around the block, it's like, oh, I better find out what that's about.
2: Sneaker culture is built on scarcity. The idea is that you can get something that other people can't. And so it's never gonna be the case that everyone's going to get one. And these video game machines are also the same way. Maybe in an ideal world, if they could build enough of them for everyone to get one, they would, but it is absolutely the case that scarcity saying, we sold out, is part of the marketing. The idea that some people can't get a thing, that websites are crashing because people are trying so frantically to buy one, shows that people want it, which makes other people want it. And in a in a pandemic world where we're kind of grasping onto any sort of like cultural uh, object that can kind of hold our attention and bring us joy, uh, that stuff absolutely plays into it.
1: It has that sort of gross feeling of like capitalism you know, the toxicity of capitalism just like creeping in. So one of the few remaining areas, right, that it can. And I guess this is this makes sense for video games because like hardware, like actual machines that run the video games, are the one thing, one of the only things you can still claim scarcity around, right? No one ever runs out of a video game anymore. There's usually like a digital version that you can download whenever. If it's a game big enough to get printed on a disc, you can probably get that disc, right? And uh, that's not the case with, with machines, right? Like there's limited stock of machines. You have to, you know, have them sent to you or get them picked up. So uh, I guess it makes sense that this is the one area that scarcity has really leaned into.
0: Yet again, you have predicted something that Patrick and I spoke about that we'll get to in a bit, oh, which no. is the idea of scarcity of consoles versus games. Uh, but don't worry about it. It just means, you know, you're very smart, Joshua. That's why you're here. So yeah, sure, some retailers can sometimes combat bots by changing their code or implementing a queue. One retailer here in the UK called Curry's tried to make sure that only people who had pre-orders could get an Xbox Series X by temporarily increasing the price by £2,000, which at the moment is roughly $2,700, and then sending pre-order customers a voucher for that amount. So then, of course, the voucher codes started appearing on eBay too. But it feels almost inevitable that as long as we have this kind of scarcity culture, we'll have people trying to use bots and other technological solutions to try to gain an advantage. So I wanted to see if Patrick had some idea of the scale of the problem.
2: It's hard to put a you know specific number onto it, but some of the Discord channels that I was monitoring where folks were using some of these bots, having discussions over which bots to use, uh, we're talking in the tens of thousands. And so you have these really long, elaborate chat rooms where tens of thousands of people are scattered across all different channels, where some people are looking for a graphics part, some people are looking for a PlayStation 5, some people are looking for gym equipment. The interesting wrinkle about these uh, sneaker bots is that this technology can apply to all sorts of things. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, there were rushes on treadmills and Pelotons and all sorts of other equipment that normally have perfectly adequate supply, but suddenly people couldn't go to the gym and needed to buy equipment. And that adequate supply turned out to not be adequate. And so this same sneaker technology was being used to help people find just everyday items um, from toilet paper to uh, <laughs> weight, you know, weightlifting equipment.
1: I haven't really worked backward from this, if that makes sense. Like, I knew it was hard to get some stuff, like, a, like a beard trimmer. Like, i i <laughs> I, tr- I tried to get a beard trimmer earlier in the pandemic, and you just couldn't because all of a sudden men decided they were going to grow their beards out. <laughs> and uh, so, I, I, I guess, I just haven't really thought yet much about how like bots were making rushes on all these products too.
0: Yeah. They're being used for all sorts of different things and by all sorts of different people as well. So I wanted to find out more about the kinds of people who use them and specifically to explore the ethical side of this practice. Let's talk about these different kinds of communities then, because your interviewee said that some of them, quote, try to operate as ethically as possible. But I wonder, in your opinion, how ethical you think it is possible to be with this kind of practice and what are the differences between these different communities?
2: Well, the, sort of like the the main line uh, I found between the various communities that I was observing was, are you using some of these bots that do all the work for you in which you are just hitting one button and it can purchase one and maybe it can mass purchase these? Or are you just getting a notification that says, hey, it's in stock, go be part of the scrum and see if you get lucky enough to have your purchase go through. And that seemed to be the dividing line that I saw across the handful of communities that I was observing for my piece. And, you know, I inherently, you're going to have actors that choose to use this for potentially devious means, but it is also the result of a broken system to begin with. If it was just as easy for a lot of these people to go to an Amazon, click buy and move on, they would. But like we currently have a system in which you can't do something like that for the vast majority of people. And then they're stuck looking for different resources to accomplish their tasks. And Maybe that throws them into a pit with a bunch of other people that may want to use it for, for means that uh, allow them to get a little extra cash on the side. Like a lot of sneaker culture is like being able to buy something for cheap and then flip it uh, later. Some people just want to collect. Some people uh, want to just be, uh, know that others are experiencing FOMO, but uh, you know, it's really just a mixture of a lot of people. It's, it's kind of hard to pin down a singular sort of identity because you have a lot of people in the same melting pot who all want the same thing, which is to buy the thing. But the reasons for doing that um, aren't necessarily always perfectly aligned.
1: Yeah, I wonder because like, I automatically assume that people are using bots for for reselling, but you could also just like want to make the process easier for yourself, right? (laughs) Um, So how many people are actually using these bots for resale?
2: There are plenty of people who may buy it for themselves and then look at eBay and realized I can make double my, my, you know, what I paid because there is definitely a going demand for all of these items where, where money is, uh, is there to be made. But the impression I got from just kind of casually observing these communities, but it's a lot of people who just really want one of these pieces of technology and would just like it for themselves, or it was all, often the case was uh, people in, in these chat rooms, they bought one for themselves, and then they're trying to get it for friends who aren't necessarily as internet literate, um, who are not someone who's gonna follow a Twitter account that says, it's in stock at Walmart. Like, go over here, um, or or setting up a bot, which, you know, maybe is not the hardest thing in the world for someone who's internet savvy. Yeah, I have a friend who sort of like, I guess he enjoys the process of keeping an eye out and
1: jumping in queues and seeing what's going on, or maybe he just enjoys being distracted from work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but, like, he did that for me when it was hard to get a hold of Ring Fit Adventure, which is sort of like an exercise video game. And uh, that's how I got it, because he just sort of, like, was more than willing to just, like, do the grunt work of, you know, clicking on links and keeping an eye on when they were in stock. And he's sort of low-key doing the same thing with the PlayStation for another friend of ours. And uh, I could totally see having a bot set up for my pals who would like to do this, but you know, they work long hours or just don't have the energy or just don't really know where to look to find this stuff.
0: Yeah, it sounds almost wholesome for someone to use a bot to try to get something for their less internet literate or like time constrained friend, right? And and you can imagine a parent using one to get the PS5 that their kid desperately wants for Christmas or whatever. But that still involves having an advantage that other shoppers don't have, which still feels kind of unfair.
2: Yeah, I mean this this system is unfair for all sorts of reasons, you know, it's it's not the case that you can just I've got the money, I like to purchase this product and it will show up to my door. You know, it is the it is the case where unfortunately the like quote unquote just way of experiencing purchasing one of these products is to hopefully just be part of the random lottery. And it's like, okay, where if I don't get it, well, I had an equal shot as another person getting it or not getting it. So if you come out the other side not having purchased it, you're maybe bummed out, but it doesn't feel like someone cut in front of the line. It just feels like you all raised your hands and, you know, someone got chosen and you didn't. And that stinks, but that at least feels like, at least there was sort of like a a randomness of life to it. Whereas... You know, the moment you start using these bots, the moment it feels like you are cutting in line because you are cutting in line, like you are finding yourself an edge, but it is against a system that is unfair to begin with.
1: I kind of push back a little bit against like logic like this, where it's just sort of like, yo, the system's broken, man. Basically, arguments like this don't sway me as much when you translate them to like a real world equivalent, like if it was an actual raffle and there were actual people with like raffle tickets, right? How do you square that? Right now, of course, this is not an actual raffle. An actual raffle has like more of a sense of fairness built into it. And I think that's what Patrick's talking about. The system is busted, but it's still, you know, if people weren't using bots to begin with, it would still have like a modicum of fairness to it. But because some people are, that throws off the fairness and then it becomes this cascading effect where like in order to give yourself just a passing shot, you have to cheat from the get-go, which... I don't know. It bugs me a little bit.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, oh, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, that's sort of like shitty logic. One thing that interests me about these feelings of fairness in the retail experience is how inhuman technology can feel. Like when you stand in line outside a brick-and-mortar store, you're there with other shoppers about to buy a product that you can physically see from a human being who is managing the process. But with online shopping, it's totally different. I asked Patrick if he thought that inhumanness played into the problem. And he had kind of a surprising answer.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, when I was sitting trying to buy a PlayStation 5 and the browser just kept, like, cycling the same little graphic over and over. And I I had the Walmart app running on my phone, I had it running on my iPad, I had multiple browsers open, and they were all just trying to buy the same thing and crashing in different ways. And in in some ways it was, there was a sense of community and camaraderie. I I had Twitter open at the same time, I had like different text chains going, I had friends sending me like, yo, like this, Private Microsoft store link seems to crash less than like using a Target link. And that was kind of fun. Like one of the Xboxes I managed to successfully buy was through like some weird loophole Xbox store that for some reason just wasn't getting as much interest. And there was sort of a fun to that, but it was a, a fun in chaos. Like I like I don't when I looked back on it, I don't know if I described that as fun, but it was definitely like a fun in in the moment. Um, and so there is, I think, as we grasp for like communal moments, you know, when we can't go to a movie theater, we can't go to concerts. I I do think some of what has driven people to find bots to go to communities where people are collectively trying to buy these devices. I'm sure on some level, they really love video games and want the new video game machine. But I also get the sense on another level, it's just cool to be a part of a thing and we're all separated. We're not amongst a lot of our friends and family. And so... As weird as it is to say that trying to buy this capitalist piece of video game hardware towards the holiday season is a form of community, I think people are grasping onto any form of community that they can, and they've found communities in, we all are trying to do this weird thing, and let's just all do it together and try and make the best of it.
1: I, I can I can see that. That's part of why people line up, right? Where it's, it's not just that you want to have the thing not a lot of other people have. It's that you'd want it enough to stand in line with other people who want it that bad. And like, I don't know if you've ever lined up for anything, Jordan. Uh, like it could be like a movie, early screening of a movie or a sneaker or like a Black Friday sale or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Black Friday. I asked Patrick how this kind of thing plays out in the holidays. So you've just had Thanksgiving and we've got Christmas coming up. So presumably these kinds of bots are in use all year round because they just depend on when products get released. But does the culture kind of kick into high gear around the holiday season?
2: Yeah, it's basically, these bots definitely are are tied to big moments, whether it is, uh, you know, as they call it, a shoe drop, which is like the release date for a specific type of shoe. Um, you know, it's they, they are definitely most heavily used at specific moments in specific times. So bots are less useful when... When the PlayStation Five pre-orders started in the fall, for example, because they didn't pick a specific time, they just said, "I don't know, like sometime in this window, you can start going to websites." And the bots don't work as well in that in that scenario because they are they want to be engineered around a website that they can uh, study the code for and then uh, be applied the moment that that time like switches over from nine fifty nine to ten o'clock. If it's just randomly websites going up and down and building pages, the bots aren't nearly as uh, applicable in those scenarios. Um, so for a lot of folks, it's what they're running are like the, the the bare minimum bots, which is just like it goes from out of stock to to inst- or add to cart or something like that. But it, but it is always the case that these technologies are going to be in more use um, around times when a lot of people are trying to to get whatever they're after, and so the holidays launch dates. uh, Those are sorts of things that sort of exasperate the existing conditions.
0: I wonder if there's more effect on regular shoppers, though, around Christmas and things like that. Because, for example, with a sneaker drop, it's only the sneakerheads who care enough to be there at that specific time. But come Christmas and you've got a new video game console, you've got parents and kids and things like that trying to get one as well. So presumably the culture is a bit different there.
2: Absolutely. That's where the sort of uh, negative consequences of Uh, the ability for people to get these pieces of technology as fast as they can end up having uh, an order of effects on regular people who just think, oh, I should be able to go to the store and buy the thing and go home with it. You know, your moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas are just like, you know what, I'm going to splurge and get that PlayStation 5 for my nephew this holiday. Like, they're probably not gonna be able to just walk in to a store and do that. Um, they're probably also not gonna join a Discord and sign up for a, a bot that <laughs> like alerts them um, when it's in stock at Best Buy either. So for a lot of those people, it's probably gonna be the case. And unfortunately it's gonna be well into 2021 when you'll get to a point where you can just kind of go to a store um, and, and buy one of them or they're gonna to have to go to alternative markets.
1: I want to know what alternative markets are.
0: Well, when we get back, we will talk about how people who really want to get their hands on one of these pieces of tech and not compete against bots might have to search on one of these alternative markets. When we left off, Patrick was saying that even the non-sneakerheads among us might need to start relying on alternative markets.
1: And by alternative markets, does he mean like eBay?
0: Interestingly, Patrick brought up Facebook.
2: During the pandemic, anytime uh, you went to a Facebook marketplace, you saw people trying to sell Nintendo Switches for double, triple the price of what those machines were available for. That was a machine that immediately got sold out because... Their big video game, Animal Crossing, uh, came out right as the pandemic really kind of kicked into to gear worldwide, and a lot of people were going into lockdown. And so you had folks snatching up uh, the, the, the switches at various retailers, putting them on marketplaces, especially that Facebook Marketplace, where a lot of people were spending a lot of time and able to sell them for, you know, double, triple uh, the cost. And I expect that will... Be one of those places where people, if you if you want to get a video game machine, you're going to be looking to alternative markets like eBay and Facebook Marketplace in order to buy them and probably paying more than the asking price that these companies are selling them for.
0: So is that the only solution then for regular shoppers who are coming up against things being sold out because of bots? It's just wait or go to alternative marketplaces. There's nothing else people can do.
2: Yeah, or get lucky. You know, sometimes you just show up and and they're and they're there. Um, unfortunately, I think I think this this specific holiday in particular is going to be particularly uh, bad for that. You probably have a better chance getting an Xbox than you will a PlayStation based on the demand that I I can observe um, at the moment. But you know, if it's your kid or yourself looking specifically for a, a PlayStation Five, it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty tough.
1: Yeah, it seems like hard to believe that you just won't be able to get like a PlayStation Five until like middle of next year but like it looks like thinking anything other than that is is kind of uh wishful thinking
0: yeah it seems like there's nothing we can really do to save christmas 2020 but i did want to ask patrick what he thought retailers might do to prevent this kind of thing in future
2: well, it's interesting because over the course of my reporting, you know, I've heard from various folks that work on the web end or the the, the customer service end of these, these online retailers and it's a lot of them just throwing up their hands going, well, we definitely had meetings where we tried to raise red flags about how this stuff was going to go and a lot of folks just could have hand waved it saying, we're used to lots of people trying to buy a thing and just them not quite fathoming how unique this specific instance of COVID uh, was going to impact the amount of people that were going to be interested in these specific products in this specific moment because of how people are coping um, with with COVID uh, in particular. Um, And so... Sure, maybe some of these websites will have postmortems where they look at the the wreckage in which maybe they end up not selling as many as they could because they weren't even able to get their websites functioning or they ended up selling them to folks that came away having a poor experience and not wanting to come back to that particular retailer in the future. Yeah, sometimes I am not
1: confident that customers just having a bad experience will prompt retailers to do something. (laughs) But I wonder if we've hit like a critical mass where they do.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Like, maybe some of them will look into how they can combat bots ready for future product launches. Or maybe they will remember that a new PlayStation only comes out every few years and decide that it isn't worth it right now. It's possible
2: that they will then develop better technology. The problem is... These machines have now launched, and the the biggest spike in demand was always going to be around the holidays and the first days that they're available. That is going to get relieved as time goes on, as they're able to make more of them, as more of that initial fervor dies down. And what will most likely happen is they don't do very much about it, or they do the bare minimum, and then when the next thing comes along – the whole cycle will just repeat itself. You know, if you want to buy a new video game, you can buy the box because you want to put it on your shelf or you can just buy it online where there is no scarcity. You know, the only reason that scarcity exists is because you're trying to buy a physical product. Um, and video games in particular, with the advent of digital, the only real way that that scarcity still exists is if you're trying when you're trying to buy the console or the graphics technology itself. Like a lot of the other stuff, you're just buying through a digital storefront and you can avoid stores entirely.
0: Unless you're on Nintendo. <laughs> Unless
2: you're Nintendo, yes. Yeah, Nintendo does not give a shit About you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So for anyone listening who doesn't get the Nintendo reference that Patrick and I are joking about there, Nintendo released for the 35th anniversary of Super Mario uh, a couple of digital games, uh, but they both have kind of scarcity baked into them. So one of them you can only buy until March 31st, 2021, even though it's a digital game. And the other one is free, but you can only play it until March 31st, 2021. And then it just, like stops existing allegedly who knows but yeah like i said earlier as long as we have scarcity i am sure we will have people trying to use tech solutions like bots to gain an edge and a final thing that i wanted to ask patrick was how the people who do use bots feel about it
2: they often feel they're acting within the system parameters that have put put in front of them. Now, maybe those systems have been established because of this kind of cat and mouse game between the folks who develop this bot technology and the companies who are selling these products. But as was constantly pointed out by folks in sneaker culture, again, this benefits the companies. The scarcity benefits the companies. They get headlines. They get news attention. They get uh, customers both elated and exasperated by the fact that they can or cannot buy something. And so... The confines of the system are such that, you know, it's a kind of a mutually beneficial process. That said, I would talk to the folks that that program some of these things and they would say, look, we're trying to give the folks who are uh, in these cultures an edge.
0: So, Joshua, these bots that we've been talking about Are they an unfair advantage that gives people who can afford to use them the means to buy in bulk and resell to desperate consumers for a huge profit? Or are they just one more inventive way that people are trying to combat an unfair system?
1: I have been thinking about this the entire episode, and I have made up my mind.
0: (laughs) Dun-dun-dun.
1: They are bullshit. (laughs) So... Basically, no, my thinking is that, like, if something is truly a way for combating an unfair system, it would elevate everyone. I don't know what it looks like, but if you are truly empowering people, you're empowering everyone. Otherwise, you're just sort of, like, creating a new tier and the sort of, like, capitalist totem pole, you know, for for lack of a better analogy that I can think of, you know?
0: I think people sometimes want to use arguments like that because they feel guilty about the thing that they're doing that gives them an advantage over other people, It's like, yeah, sure, I'm screwing some people over, but, you know, system's fucked anyway. Like, got to do what you got to do. Dog eat dog, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like, I can see people argue that, you know, these bots are available to everyone. But as we saw, like, not all of them are. And, you know, you could say, oh, you can make your own, but not everybody can, right? You're just sort of like moving the goalposts a little bit. And there's always going to be someone on the other side. Otherwise, no one would want to do it.
0: Yeah, and they cost money. Like Even the simple ones cost money or they cost time or like tech literacy. And then you get to the problem of these expensive ones that Patrick was talking about, where the people who make them, they only give them out to a few people because otherwise it would negate the point of the bot existing, right? If everyone had one, it would mean everyone had an advantage and you wouldn't be able to sell these things for thousands of dollars. It's putting another unfair system on top of the existing unfair system, which maybe means that individual people are able to have a better experience, but it doesn't make it better for everyone. Next time on Wild Wild Tech, we'll talk about how the Internet is changing the way we speak. Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a Spoke Media production. It's hosted by me, Jordan Erica Weber, and Joshua Rivera. You can find us at jordanweber.com and at jmrivera02 on Twitter. Our producers are Cody Hoffmogel and Janiel Kastner, with help from Reyes Mendoza and Trey Jones. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seely for Studio 71, and Aaliyah Tabakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Patrick Klepik. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening.
1: I love that it used to be like robots are stealing your jobs. And now it's it's just, yeah, now it's just robots are stealing everything from you.
0: Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.